What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Boys, and this is another episode of the Facts Project. Today, special guest, editor-in-chief of Concrete Comics, and great author, Daniel Calvo. Thank you for joining me, brother. Brother, thank you so much for having me, man. I've been wanting to come on the show for the longest time. I'm a huge fan of everything you do. Listen, shout out to whoever made that beat, though. Because that beat, I love that beat, your intro beat. I think you have the best the best song in any podcast that I listen to. It's on some MF Doom type deal. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you that the uh, the producer for that track is Paul Castro, and he is a Colombian DJ right here in Atlantic City. They, they hooked me up with that. No way. Listen, man, Latin folk, we stay, we stay having the best music, man. Hey, listen, man, he knew what he was doing with the sample, so that 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 <laughs> sticks out. I appreciate you for that because I'm a, I tell him that all the time. I'm like, yo, I'm sticking with that beat. <laughs> that beat is fire, man. That beat is fire. Good, man. So, uh, for for one, congratulations first and foremost because within I'd say mm, three days, uh, the Kickstarter for Tenak, and, and of course I'm saying that correctly, Tenak. <laughs> has uh, of course uh, been fully funded and then some because right now I believe it's in the late 5k range of the Kickstarter so it, it's good that we caught it like at the 10 day period so like there's so much to grow from here it is currently I think that at the time of recording this podcast it's at 5761 with over 124 backers and only 10 days, which is just like the most mind-blowing thing. Just one person supporting your book is already like right. the best in the universe, but a, a little 100 and some people going, oh, we want to read this. Like we love this story and putting money and time and love into supporting it. It's just like, an amazing, amazing experience. I'm so grateful for it. Now, now I have to ask, like, um, with your with your first installment for Concrete Comics, doing uh, Andy Starboy. Now, amidst doing that first issue of that, and now jumping into into Tenok and creating this whole mythology around it, like, what was the time difference of you doing this? Because I, if I remember, just like maybe this was like last year in the summer, I got Andy Starboy. And then all of a sudden, like the writing for Tenok had to come out, like I'd say maybe six months later or directly at the same time. This is actually very interesting. So Andy Starboy was made and published, I think, with the Kickstarter in 2020. So people should have gotten their books over October because I remember we did it in the summer. Oh, my God. Two years already. Uh, <laughs> this pandemic, bro. This pandemic. Um, Tenok, I started developing Tenok. Tenox started off as an idea that I had because I started, I'm a huge fan of Mesoamerican mythology and history, right? But I never had the idea to actually implement that into my writing. It was just my hobby. And then one day I was having a conversation with another uh, Latin author, uh, Javier Hernandez, shout out to Javier Hernandez from, from Cali, right. creator of El Marco. And, and he has a comic in which it's like a, horror superhero story that deals with Aztec mythology. Mm. And I was like, and I'm a huge fan of that. And I, I, I was so into it. And I, I was like, oh, I can do that too. You know, I can do, I can do Aztec mythology. That's a mythology that no other people 
barely anybody knows or studies or 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 even like creates into media now 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 there's more of a movement so i started developing the idea for ten. it was so it was like very it was like i think three months after andy so i know it was early 2021 mm. because i i came up with the idea and i pitched it to long so i started developing it by myself right I didn't tell any, anything to Lonzo until I had the full script, uh, character designs, and some pinups done. So, uh, because I, I realized as I was developing it that I was, uh, oh, this is a really good story. That this is not just, the, I'm, I'm actually very excited to do this. And this has potential to be like a very successful book uh, within the Concrete Comics canon. So, so I went with Lonzo and I told him, listen, this is going to be my next project this is gonna be like this is what i'm putting out next uh and immediately after he saw it, he was like we, we need to do this we need to we need to get on with this because it's looking fire literally it's looking it's looking fire um so it, the whole process of making 10 up took like two months we just been sitting on it because we had a very full publishing schedule last year uh did yeah so we we were like at first, I thought about putting out the book last uh, last October, November uh, for Latin Latin Heritage Month. Uh, but the problem was that precisely that we had such a full schedule that we just didn't have enough time to to put out the Kickstarter and give it the attention it deserved, uh, as it does now. I mean, now it's the first book coming out this year. Every all eyes are on it. You know, everybody's supporting. Uh, but it comes it comes by way of like taking our time with with the story and developing it and and making sure it was right before putting it out into the world. Now, I'm happy to see it because, yeah, I mean, as far as like uh, being a, a fan and a super fan of concrete for so long, it's good to see that you guys are, are, are re the releases are coming as quickly as possible from every single writer that you have in your stable. But let's talk Tenak uh, real quick. And first off, it's very important that we get the pronunciation of 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 the the lead character correctly because there is a lot of uh, Mesoamerican Aztec gods and goddesses that are in this storyline. And some of the names may be hard for you because I know when I started reading the pages from the the early release that you gave me. Thank you for that. That. I was like, yeah, I'm, when I discuss this with Daniel, I'm never going to get this right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, even the goddess of death, you had to give her a nickname, uh, Mick, Micklin, or, or you said even Mike or anything like that. But it, I, I'm sure it, just in the case of uh, a lot of readers out there, especially uh, that have uh, a, a heavy Mexican background or, or, or dive into uh, Aztec folklore like you, like you have, it would do its due diligence and justice for us to correctly pronunciate the names correctly. Yes, absolutely. And I'm glad, I'm glad we're, I'm very glad that we're in a point in history and in culture in which we are able to be so respectful towards it. And are looking at it as a culture that is worthy of being respected and studied and, and revered even, you know, like we are talking about an empire that had a very similar level of development as ancient Egypt, like the, the, the highest realms of Egypt, you know, mm -hmm. they, they had a, a I mean, uh, these people were doing brain surgeries uh, 
500 years ago, you know, like primitive, uh, very basic brain surgeries, but they were able to like manipulate parts of the body. They had very advanced medicine. They had uh, amazing agri agricultural uh, technology and, and culture and everything. So it's, it's just a fascinating culture that doesn't get enough love. Um, I think because of colonialism and because of the, the narratives perpetuated mm -hmm. by colonialism, uh, not a lot of people get get a chance to study this and like see it from a positive light. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm very excited that we're we're in a point in which not only stories like Tenoch can can come forward, but also you know all the other Mesoamerican inspired stories that are coming out in media like Maya and the Tree, uh, Onyx Equinox. You know, there's it, I feel like we're in a renaissance right now of Mesoamerican storytelling, which I'm very excited to be part about. My, I'm, I'm actually glad that you said Maya and the Three because I, I actually had a chance to watch that with my daughter and she loved that. That storyline was amazing. But I have to ask you, um, I guess given the past like maybe 10 years or so, there have been negative depictions of, uh, of, of Mesoamerican folklore, of, Az of the Aztec Empire who have been depicted by people unnecessary uh, as putting those out into the light of day. You know, people criticize the movie Apocalypto in the, in the ways that they have and have seen those drawn into like into storylines that often drew the characters as being barbaric in which they were not. So what, what do you say to that? As somebody as a student of this, you know, those negative depictions that are brought out there onto the screen that are showcasing those people to 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 worldwide public. And that if, if that's the first impression that you saw of Aztecs and that was the first thing that you thought of, what is the way that maybe, you know, that we could turn this around? Because oftentimes, you know, we're seeing as the olden days as being, you know, shown in some type of negative light. And it's it's weird in a sense, correct? It absolutely is. I actually I had a very hilarious conversation with a lot of people the other day, precisely about Apocalypto, uh, because I I posted a meme of like making fun of Apocalypto and saying, "Congratulations, Latin authors are actually coming out and making better stuff than Apocalypto." Like you're, this is no longer the face of Mesoamerican representation. Apocalypto was basically a poorly made uh apology for colonialism like it was basically saying you guys deserve colonialism you guys needed colonialism from from europeans in order to be saved it's just i got a lot of issues for it we would spend the whole podcast <laughs> talking about all my issues with apocalypto like i, I hate sure. that movie so much but the only positive thing about that movie is that the actors were indigenous and they got paid like that's the only thing that i consider to be the good thing up from the movie. That's it. People got paid, at least. Right. Um, oh, no, no, no. Continue. I'm sorry. No, yeah, man. I think it's it's not the fact that, okay, so every time, every for decades, for centuries, right, the only thing that has been related to Mesoamerican cultures and pre-Columbian cultures is human sacrifice. But human sacrifice was actually, like, extremely nuanced. You know, it, it was it was voluntary in most cases. Uh, uh, it was people who went like, okay, so we got to appease the gods. Uh, I'm going to offer myself a sacrifice and it's going to be quick. 
and it's going to be nice and we're we're all gonna we're all gonna have a good time and have another year of of uh of agricultural uh richness and we're we're gonna be safe and we're gonna continue to beat our enemies right i don't see i see that as being almost like the mentality of a person going to be sacrificed in the aztec empire voluntarily because there was involuntarily sacrifice of like war prisoners and stuff right but it's it wasn't like the one it wasn't even the main thing you you wanted people to go voluntarily as well because you know it's it's a sacred thing the mentality of someone doing that is very similar to the mentality of jesus going to the cross it is a voluntary sacrifice in order to protect humanity and save humanity and appease the lord right and it's just that you know in in judeo-christian tradition is jesus christ and jehovah and in Mesoamerican traditions is Huitzilopochtli or, or Quetzalcoatl or Mitlantecutli or any of these gods. Mm. So it's, it's very, it's very nuanced. I, my biggest problem with this is not the fact that I don't think people don't want this human sacrifice not to be represented in media because a lot of great creators like Sophia Alexander with uh, the Onyx Equinox anime, she represents human sacrifice. But she represents it in its context and not as a sensationalized thing, but mm -hmm. represents it in its cultural context and saying, no, this was actually voluntary. Like people, people showed up for this and it wasn't like this brutal. Uh, everybody's just like uh, killing each other for fun. It wasn't like that. I think the problem is that that's the only part of the civilizations that is always represented. They right. always focus on this, this, this. And why do I keep seeing the movie about the Mayan priest pulling out someone's heart out? But I keep seeing the movie. Why do I see Pocahontas? Right? Like, why, why am I watching the, the, the blonde guy, you know, marry Pocahontas, who was a, who was a child in, in real life? She was a child. Mm -hmm. um, why, why am I seeing all these fantasies celebrating colonization? Why am I not seeing the movie about Hernan Cortez murdering and raping and destroying people mm -hmm. in, in Mesoamerica. Why am I not seeing that side of story of, of history? You know? Right. So I think the problem is not that the, that that is being showed because I do think that we need to see representations of that in media, right? That is history that those things did happen. The problem is that we shouldn't be seeing only that in media. Mm -hmm. We should also be seeing, you know, their developments in science. We should be seeing their developments in, in culture, in, in gender roles, in, in, in sexuality, in history, in, arch, in, in science. Like these were very scientifically advanced people mm. uh, and very culturally advanced people. And they had a very beautiful culture, which also included uh, ritual sacrifice. But I think that the big problem is that we're only seeing that and when it comes to the representation of europe and its involvement with the with the new world and the the, the encounter right right is no longer uh they they are portrayed as heroic instead of being portrayed as what they were which were invaders and colonizers and rapists and murderers mm. so you know i i think that we are bringing it back. We are reclaiming those narratives now that we're getting to see a lot more Latin people and indigenous people and uh, descendants of the original Mesoamerican people in media. 
we are starting to see that we are reclaiming those narratives and we are able to represent the other sides that have not been shown in media, like the beautiful mythologies. Like, bro, in, in Aztec religion, when you die, you come back as a butterfly. How beautiful is that? You know, like, would, would you ever would you ever expect that? Like, I, I find that to be a beautiful way to, to spend eternity, right? Coming back as a butterfly, being reincarnated as a butterfly. Mm. Um, other other depictions like the god Huitzilopochtli, the god of war, when women died in childbirth, uh, he claims the souls of those women and he brings them to his court to be around him. So this is a god who values motherhood and who values the, the lives of women and, and, right. and love around him. And this is a god of war. So how I, I just think that there's a lot to the mythology and the culture that we need to see that is not just, you know, another ritual sacrifice of yeah. a poor little Spanish conqueror who, who happened to find himself in the way of the savage Aztecs. You know, like I'm, we're all tired of seeing that. Apocalypto is the prime example of that. Uh, so, yeah. Definitely. Hey, man, look. I'm glad that when I do get a chance to speak to a creator, that there is an absolute storyline and a lesson to be learned about the stories that you guys create. Now, to dive into the story of Tenak, you know, we uh, when I at first reading it, you come to see that there's this high praise towards the elder gods in Mesoamerican folklore and mythology. So much so that when um, in this storyline, when you see uh, the Aztecs go to battle with the Spanish, they're going to war with their gods in tow. Almost in the same breath, you know, where this uh, this conquest kind of like meets meets its match. You know, it's it's he's he's wondering what the other gods are pretty much up to and why defeat is almost imminent and it seems to be a tough a tough pill to swallow for him because defeat has never been pretty much in in his court you know because the humans praise them so much and because they've been worshiped so well they've never seen defeat but in this case and in this story for the first time it it really sinks them down like you, you almost see them brought into just this sunken space to where we see Tenak in this storyline in his true human form, his past form. Can you talk about that? Yeah, thank you for that, because that is actually one of the main themes that I wanted to touch on the story. So Tenak, Tenak is the human embodiment of Huitzilopochtli, which is the Aztec god of war. Mm hmm. Right, and the story takes place uh, 500 years after the conquest of Tenochtitlan, which was the the fall, the basically the fall of the Aztec Empire. Tenochtitlan was the capital of the Aztec Empire, and the Spanish, uh, after a very long conflict uh, with a lot of a lot of steps um, and a lot of things, and they brought in a plague, and it, it was a whole thing. Um, you know, they they seize Tenochtitlan and basically falls and that's like the fall of the mexica right like the fall of the original uh the original empires um and tenok being the god of war you know he's supposed to be a protector right he's supposed to be a warrior and the god of war when he experiences defeat 
again, the Aztec Empire was the biggest empire in the continent. Mm -hmm. The biggest, like they, they took on everybody. Tenochtitlan was the biggest city, like uh, the, the Europeans called it the, the Vienna of, of the Americas, because it was such a rich cosmopolitan city mm. uh, with so much gold, with so much richness that, that they were just like, like they were mind blown by all these amazing things that they had. So, you know, the story, the story basically follows Tenoch like 500 years after the fall of the Aztec Empire. Uh, you know, people have forgotten the religion of the, the Aztecs. Like almost nobody worships the Aztecs anymore. Even the language has been lost. Like very few people speak Nahuatl. Nahuatl was the language of the, of the Aztecs. Um, so he basically spends his days in, in modern day Mexico City, still protecting his people who no longer identify as Aztecs, they identify as, as Mexicans. Mm -hmm. um, after like hundreds of years of colonization and like cultural change and everything, like people don't remember their gods, uh, the original gods. And so the gods have lost most of their power at this point. That they're, they're, they, they're very weakened. Uh, you know, Tenok used to be a guy who could fly into outer space and like fly around the sun. He was like a Thor type. Mm -hmm. But now he's more like, you know, he's a little weaker, a lot weaker. Like he, he still has his powers. He's still like a force to be reckoned with, but he's not in his prime anymore because people have forgotten him. So he's still, you know, he's fighting monsters and stuff, trying to defend people from, from evil and things, but he's not remembered it. People can't even see him anymore. Right. Um, so a big part of it, that was actually a very hard part to write uh, for me because when introducing the Aztec gods and their involvement in the conflict with the right. Spanish, I wasn't sure how I was going to handle like the gods losing because the gods being uh, such a powerful force, you know, uh, we will be dealing with that later in the series. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I also wanted to represent that one of the main themes in this story is the aftermath of colonization, the aftermath of dealing, the emotional aftermath, the, the physical, the, 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 the philosophical, everything religious aftermath of colonization. What are the consequences? How do we deal with it today as mm. descendants of the people who were colonized? And, and sometimes uh, being descendants of both the people who were colonized and the people who were colonizing. Mm. Uh, like in my case, I'm a descendant of Tainos, uh, Tainos indigenous people, but I'm also a descendant of Spanish. So, you know, something happened all the way back in my family tree. Some messed up thing happened. Right. Which I came about. And essentially, even in this storyline, like this isn't a quintessential uh, Spanish Mexican story. This is more so of a native indigenous uh, Mesoamerican story. Yes, I wanted to make it a point that this is an indigenous story. This is not a Latin. It's not. Okay, so it's Latin in the sense that the creators are Latin and it takes place in a Latin context and it takes place with a culture that is part of the Latin diaspora. Mm -hmm. But the main thing, the main point that I wanted to drive home is that this is an indigenous story. This is not Spanish. Actually, like there's a scene that I wanted to get in the book, but I couldn't because of budget. Mm -hmm. in which Tenok is fighting, was going to be fighting a group of gangsters and they were going to be like screaming in Spanish at him. And he was going to go, how dare you speak the tongue of the enemy? Mm. So, like, that was going to be like 
part of his character development was going to be, oh, why did people forget our language? Why are you speaking the language of the people who destroyed our, our home? So it was going to be kind of like him dealing, this is still in the story, right? Not this particular scene, but the story does deal a lot with this thing of kind of like coming to terms with, okay, this happened. How do we move forward from there? You know, the colonization happened. How do we grow and learn from it? And how do we heal from it and move forward? Man, please tell me that's going to pop back up because that yeah. I feel as though that is like a very important subject to basically bring upon from forth the loss of language due to colonization where the indigenous tribes had lost their language Af uh, Africans who were brought into slavery losing their language because of colonization like these type of the things that are brought into a comic book highly important especially the way that they that they can be like thrown together in that context although historical in proportion new age for everyone it's 2022 you know so if there's a way to put that back in <laughs> I, I feel i feel as though it's it's an important subject to put on paper absolutely i am very excited i was kind of i was so mad that i couldn't get it <laughs> but uh you know budget it is what it is but there is a scene in issue two that does involve that and then some like it's a very brutal scene that issue one is good issue one is action-packed it has a lot of like the the powerful themes in it like dealing with colonization and everything mm -hmm. issues two and three are cranked up to ten thousand. right like it uh, this is like we're setting the stage for an epic uh and like this issue one is going to be like people are gonna be like yo this is cool and you know this is powerful Issue two are, is going to make people cry. Uh, uh, yeah, issue two is going to make people cry. Uh, I cry right in it. Mm. And issue three is definitely going to be like a big, like, holy crap moment for people when reading. Well, one thing I, I noticed just from, from reading the pages is that Tenak uh, actually comes to the realization, well, he even questions himself as far as the fact that maybe humans didn't need us in the in, in to begin with. They've evolved to be scientists and warriors of their own and uh, great thinkers who are out there. So he's he's come to see humanity as some something that has basically held itself at a high regard to the point where it's evolved over time and is pretty much chucked itself up the up the ladder ever so gently. So due to the fact that this has happened back then and we're kind of in present day. Has he come to terms that maybe, maybe they were better off without us? I think that's a very interesting way to see this. Is why I love your podcast, bro. Because you actually like read into the story and you have a lot of great points to bring into it. Tanakh to me is a representation of indigenous rage. Mm -hmm. It's a representation of the culture that was ravished and abused and almost destroyed in its entirety thank god it wasn't but almost destroyed in its entirety by colonization um the first story arc which is going to go from issues one to three is going to deal with the with tenok kind of like having to come to terms with 
okay, my people have forgotten me. How do I move on from here? And like the the main the main thing for him is going to be like when he joins the goddess of death, he's going to go on a journey to kind of like bring back the Aztec Empire, mm. recover his power, recover his position as the god of his people, and kind of like almost almost on a on a killmonger vibe. You know, uh-huh. like I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna take over everything, and I'm gonna bring us back to the glory with the serve. Mm. You know, so because God Tanak, one thing to remember, I I market this as a superhero comic because you know it's it it does have like a superhero ish title character, but I'm not writing him to be a superhero. I'm writing him to be a god, right? And I'm writing him to be a warrior god. So what this guy wants is to go out, and he wants all the smoke. He wants to fight everybody he wants to recover his throne mm-hmm. and as much as he's a hero he is motivated by wanting to protect his people and wanting to like heal the effects of of colonization he is also motivated by ego a little bit like he is a god he wants to be worshipped again he wants to recover his place as the rightful king and emperor of the mexica people so the the first story arc is going to deal with that. It's going to deal with him having to come to terms with that. How does he deal with this new world? How does he deal with uh, with this this new this new world, this new culture that that has developed the 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 effects of this this colonization and this this brutality, right? Uh, in every aspect, you know, religion. Uh, the, the second issue has him fight the Catholic Church. So that's going to be fun. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, religion, language, culture, everything. Uh, this is going to be a very interesting comic uh, to me, not only to write from the identity point of view, but from the cultural point of view as well. Now, from, from me just uh, getting to the conclusion of what I was reading, Right. And you could say yes or no. You don't have to dive too deep in it. Is it safe to say that the other gods, the goddess of death, uh, do they have ulterior motives as to wanting Tenoch to join them? There's a lot more going on than what we see in issue one. There, mm-hmm. There's a lot. Everybody has their own agenda, but I think ultimately what everybody wants is to bring the Aztec Empire back. Now, how do they bring the Aztec Empire back is what's going to be the issue. Like, how are they going to recover their culture and bring back their the old ways? That is what's going to be the, the, the main concern of the series. Like, uh, are we supposed to just go back to the way things were before, or are we supposed to grow and learn and do a different thing? Right. So yeah, there's definitely a lot going on with uh, Miklantekutli and all the other gods and, and Tanakh and the, the way they're going to interact is going to be a, a big point uh, of the series and the comic in general. Okay. Now, um, being how you are born native of Cuba, yeah. is, there, is there any uh, mythos or folklore that we do not know about from, from Cuban folklore? Cuban folk, this is interesting. So indigenous Cuban folklore is lost a lot um, because 
this is something that I, I think about a lot and it's actually very sad. So the, the, the indigenous population of Cuba was basically wiped out in its entirety. Mm. Uh, there are very, very, very few people who were, who remain and like not even a handful of people even remember the traditions, right? Like there, there's a lot of historical accounts of, of the traditions, but mm-hmm. there's not so much, um, they're not the religion and the, the language and everything that that's uh, almost everything lost. There is a lot of Afro in, infused uh, mythology though. Mm. which comes by way of the, the African people who, who were brought in by the Spanish to kind of like, you know, so, you, you know, slavery. Um, so there is a lot like Wihes, which is like some form of like gobbling with magical powers that lives in, in lakes and stuff, and they play tricks on people. Mm. Um, there's Gawedos, which are kind of like, uh, like Chimera, like they can transform into different people, into different monsters. Uh, and they do so by carrying a dirty coat on them. So it's more, it's not so much mythology as it is folklore. Uh, and of course, the, the, there is the religion, the Orisha religion, which is uh, the biggest religion in Cuba, uh, which is, you know, it comes by way of Africa as well. Correct. So I don't know how much Onaji is already doing Egyptian and, and African mythology, but I would like at some point to kind of like relate the Orisha gods that in the version of uh, that developed in Cuba when mixed with uh, Catholic uh, Catholic imagery and everything and the Aztec gods like that. That would be a very interesting thing to do in the future. That'd be amazing. That'd be yeah. amazing. So, um, Getting back to your time at Concrete, you know, for for somebody who was behind the scenes, I say for the first three wheels of like most of the books that were put out to be the editor in chief, you have uh, you have some very talented people that look look for you and your opinion towards their books to be precise, to be highly demanding, to get to the point and your time at being at concrete has turned it into a national phenomenon, you know, being an indie publisher that has had the ability to put out books after books after books. I think I have myself, I think I have maybe around like 12 to 15 of them. Yes, sir. I see you. You know, so, and and my name is actually on one of these books. So, so that, that, that neither here nor there, (laughs) but, (laughs) Well, can you tell me, like, to to jump into the world of indie comics and being being an editor for a fledgling comic company and to see it grow in the ways that Concrete has, how do you how do you feel as though your time there has been warranted? And to now being an author of two books. First of all, I want to say uh, nobody else at Concrete is as talented as I am. Uh, that's just a fact. <laughs> he he talks shit just like them, too. <laughs> it's a man. We live to troll each other. I just can't wait for them to listen to this. So it's oh, that's great. Uh, no, I'm, I'm the only talented person at Concrete. They would be dead mm. without me, to be honest. I don't know how they would do without me. Oh, man. Lonzo can't write. You know, I actually ghostwrite Acolyte 
to be oh. honest. <laughs> <laughs> the rightful, <laughs> the rightful writer of, of this is, this is starting out to be like a, a, a hip hop beef. You basically just uh, just, a, just snitched on Lonzo and told everybody that you've been writing. <laughs> Lonzo is a character, a pseudonym for yes. Lonzo is Lonzo. Lonzo is a hired actor. You see, like he's my. I hired him to kind of like be like the forefront person, but it's me pulling the strings all along. You know, I'm playing chess with us people. Nah, man, listen, everybody at Concrete is, first of all, they're my family. I love them to death. Uh, they're some of the most talented individuals out there. Lonzo is not only an amazing writer, an amazing person, he's an amazing businessman. Like I sat in at meetings with Lonzo and other personalities in the room and he the way he moves and the way he he talks and the way he manages deals he's a star he's really like the glue that holds concrete together honestly is the figure of Lonzo star everybody at concrete and also you know shout out to mj destiny our administrator shout out to everybody all the creators uh dave rooker onaji rouse live ringold jermil lessi and all the others that are coming out now soon uh this year we're adding a lot of people to the roster mm. um yeah get ready we, we're dropping some some heat this year um mm. i think what's fascinating is that by the time okay so a little background story so i i moved to the states from cuba when i was 19 i moved by myself um and you're now what how old um 22 yeah so you, you actually i'm literally been here three years Three years, it's going to be three years in February, actually. Like, it's going to be three years in February. And I got, I moved to the States, and I the first thing I thought was, okay, I've been given a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to make a life, to get my life, turn my life around, and, like, make a living and fulfill my dreams. Because if I wasn't here, I'd be working construction mm. in Cuba. Like, I, I wouldn't be able to do any. I'll, I'll be working construction. I'll be, like you know, not doing anything with my life right? Uh, because of several issues. But in the States, the second I, I remember the day after I moved to the States, what I did was, it's actually like advice for, for upcoming creators if they're listening to this. So what I did was I created a Facebook group that was called Kapow Comics. Mm -hmm. And I just started inviting random people that work in comics. Everybody that I saw on Facebook that work in comics, I invited them to that group. And in like five days, I had like 200 comic book creators in that group. And I just started networking. I just started meeting people. I just started talking to people, uh, sending sending pitches, right? Because I already had a bunch of scripts written mm -hmm. uh, that I had translated from Spanish to English. So I had, one of them was Andy Starboy. So I contact Lonzo uh, one day and like a month, literally a month after moving to the States in March, 20, 2019, I got my first job as editor as editor of Concrete, and in January 2020, I became the editor in chief. Mm. Um, and in in that time, just seeing the growth from like by the time I entered Concrete, none of the books were out. Right. It was just uh, Acolyte, Absolver, and Odina, and that's it. And we do the Kickstarter, and the books come out, and it, it becomes like this thing, right? Uh, and going from that and seeing the growth from 
the comics that those three comic books to now we're about to start putting trades out like we're 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 at the at a point in which we are already having talks about putting out full volumes and like we're having talks with distributors to put the books in stores all over the country we're doing we're going around where we're talking to a bunch of different people we're getting a lot of very heavy emails like mm -hmm. we're already signing like we, we, we're signing a lot of ndas you know so it's just like a very crazy i wasn't even a citizen until october this all happened before i was thank you brother uh yeah. the, this all happened even before i was a full-blown citizen and so it's like it's a it's a feeling of like wow this growth is like movie like And I think that it comes from the hustle of everybody at Concrete because we we don't see comics as a hobby. We see comics as our job right. from day one. So from day one, we being wanting to build this as a business that could become one of the top publishers in the country. Um, and, you know, regardless of when some of us like go and do other work for other publishers as well, when we're working on Concrete, it is 100% concrete mm. and we're all giving it our 110% in order to, to deliver the best books possible and make the best promotion and make the best, the best of everything, right? Like we want to make badass books. We want to bring badass representation and we want, and we're authentic about it. You know, like we're, we're not pandering to anybody. We're telling our stories where we're, we want to make we want to rise to the top and i think that the fact that we're all we're all equally hungry to get to the top and we're all working to get concrete to the top i think is the combination of hunger and strategy and talent that i am just so proud to be part of the team and to be able to help people with their books and everything because it's just it's been a journey and it's been a blessing and honestly I've, in this very short career of comics that i've had just three years um it's been a fascinating journey and it has been thanks to concrete comics like there is no daniel de Cabo without concrete comics so yeah man it's it's honestly a blessing and i'm very excited for what's coming down the road with concrete and tenoc and everything that's amazing that that's that's actually an amazing story i'm glad i'm glad i got that on i got that on the audio so i, I recorded yeah. it <laughs> you gotta take out the part where i say all the nice things about Lonzo though like oh, don't, that, don't put that on the, but the, <laughs> the episode. that's the part i'm gonna turn up the loudest what are you talking exactly. about <laughs> <laughs> so uh, outside of your own creative projects uh what Out of out of the concrete stable, are you are you able to say because you've you've had the ability to read everybody's scripts? Which one is your favorite? Do you have one? I gotta leave, you know. I gotta I gotta take off, but <laughs> now nah, listen. Uh there's a difference between what I think is the most technically well-written script. Uh, from a technical point of view and a, like a narrative point of view and a difference between what my favorite is. My favorite, my favorite comic is Decimation Earth out of the mm. rose. My, because it appeals more to my personal sensitivities, right? Uh, my favorite superhero and character of the roster though, uh, besides Tanok, is Acolyte. Mm-hmm. Because I have worked in every single Acolyte book and I work in everything and I'm always talking to them. I talk to them every day. Mm -hmm. 
and we're always talking just yesterday we were discussing issue issue four and no actually issue five issue four he already wrote issue four right uh so it's like you know it, it, it's just i'm so connected to the character that i feel like i'm already part of the acolyte family Mm -hmm. So everything that Lonzo puts out to me, it's like, oh, that's my, that's my, it, it feels like my superhero too. You know, Acolyte feels like my, my superhero as well, uh, right. because I have worked so closely with Lonzo in creating this world and like helping him shape the world of Acolyte and make it into the, the powerhouse that he is now at Concrete and that he continues to grow. It's just been amazing. It's been a beautiful, it's been a beautiful experience. So Decimation Earth and Acolyte. I love all the scripts, but Decimation Earth and Acolyte are my my favorites, most definitely. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, in I always bring it up around uh, about Concrete Comics. Right. You know, um, it's it's the resilience of the entire crew. You guys don't live near each other. You don't. Uh, you may talk to each other on the phone. A majority of the reason that you are a compacted group is because you've had the ability to speak to each other on social media for as long as you've had. You know, you have uh, you have creators in Atlanta, in Georgia, you in Philly, uh, Lonzo and Jamil over in New Jersey, David Rutgers in North Carolina, Lyles in Chicago. You know, the fact that you know you guys have had the ability to become one of the top indie publishers in this country speaks to the fact that regardless of distance, you manage to communicate, chuck out a business plan, do everything on point, and it comes out as pristine and as polished as anybody just walking into a comic book shop and picking up their, their number one issue off of the shelf. You know, it's the, the business end of it is done just as well as the talent that brought it to you. And I feel as though that's important. Absolutely. I mean, the team is just insanely talented and they all bring something different to the table. Uh, and we, I had this conversation with Lonzo before that when building the concrete universe and building the team uh, with people that we work with, we want to make sure that they are not only bringing something that we don't already have, but that they are good to work with, that they bring positive energy to the mix, right? Because mm -hmm. we, we handle concrete like a family, you know, we love each other. We call each other for our birthdays. Like I, I call Lonzo for when, when, uh, when his wife got, got pregnant and I'm like, that we gone out for my birthday. And like, we, we, we talk to each other almost all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I call, we troll each other on social media every That's time, true. all the time. Uh, and I feel like we have a family bond, all of us like concrete and like we stay on top of what's going on in each other's lives and we talk and we have like weekly meetings and we just troll each other on weekly meetings. We should record a week, one of our weekly meetings one time, because if you think we troll each other on the podcast and everything, you have not seen, we, I've go, heard. Hard. we go hard, man. We go hard. Like, especially with your, when your meal is there. Oh my God. Onaji is so petty too. Like Onaji, <laughs> Onaji is the king of petty in concrete. Like he, he's just like, he goes hard on the petty, but the the thing is that how do how do I we're like Boltron, you know, mm -hmm. like we all of us bring something unique and we combine and we create this awesome robot that is concrete, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that you 
the people are the most important part of everything. The people creating and the people consuming the stories. And I think that, you know, the fact that we as creators are so passionate about our stories and love our stories so much and want to make sure that people love the stories too. Mm -hmm. Because we're not writing for ourselves. We're writing for people. We're writing for the audience. We want to make sure that we make the best book for the audience. Um, and I think, I think that all of us being united in that and being a united front and going like, yeah, we're, we're going, let's make these moves. Let's all be coordinated. Let's all, you know, let's make these appearances. Uh, let's, uh, you know, you're doing this in your book. Okay, so then I'm going to do this in my book. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, staying on top of what's going on. I think that that's massive. That's been a massive part of the, the success of concrete. And again, we're all hungry as hell. Like we want to succeed. And in the, in the three years that concrete's been around, that's part of it. We all want to succeed. We all want to kill it. We all want to be, to be our best selves and to be at the top. So, and that definitely comes from the people. That definitely comes from everybody that comes to Concrete. We are, they're hungry and they want to do the best and they want to be comic book creators and they want to go, want to succeed in numerous areas. So yeah, it's definitely the team, man. It's definitely the team. Shout out to the team. Shout out to everybody at Concrete. You also have some of the most uh, loyal fans and loyal yes. fan base uh, in this country. It doesn't even matter the distribution or anything like that. It seems like every time you guys put a Kickstarter out or there's something that you guys want to put some backing on as far as a project getting in everybody's hands, people attack that. If, rather the fact that it'd be a lot of uh, a lot of fellow comic book creators, but just fans in general of your comics come out every single time and put their money's worth into getting a good product into their hands. Now, I, I, I more so uh, wanted to say, you are a writer as well as an editor. So it's it's only right that you can have continue writing in, in the manner that you have. So much so that I saw recently, what was it? Negative Space Comics. You are a semi-finalist for your comic script for Unrotten. Yes. Uh, wow, you do your homework, bro. Um, yes, man. Negative Space Comics uh, is the first comic book writing competition uh, ever. And they, they have a lot of amazing mentors. Heather Antos, who is a, a great editor at IDW, is there. Brian Hawkins, you know, there's a lot of authors who are the judges and also like a lot of people who are offering mentoring there. So I applied with a horror script um, that I wrote uh, a few years ago that's called Unrotten. And it made it to the semifinals and moving to the finals now. And I'll find out if I'm a winner or not and if I move to the next round soon. But, you know, it's fascinating to see. I'm a writer. More than anything, I'm a writer. Uh, I'm a creator. And I not only write superheroes. Superheroes are actually like a very small part of what I do as a whole. I got, right now I have 15 projects going on. <laughs> and only one of them is a superhero book, and that's Tenon. Mm. Uh, okay. All the other ones with different authors, different people, they're all like science fiction, horror, comedy, you know, uh, other media. So, so it's not, you know, that I think that it's important to, to move and expand 
to as many genres and as many things as possible, as many medias, uh, mediums, as many publishers, everything. You know, I want to be everywhere. Me as a writer, I want to be everywhere. I want everybody to know. I want, this is a crazy notion, right? Like I, I myself think of it as crazy, but I want to be the greatest. You know, I want to be the greatest. Uh, I think I have the same mentality uh, with writing as Kobe did with playing. Mm. I want to be better than I was yesterday, every day. Every day I do a little something to work towards my dream. And I think that's been part of the success that I had this past since I moved to the States is that every day there's not a day that goes by in which I don't either write or make a connection or work with someone in getting some pages done or have a meeting or, or like I'm networking with someone or I'm having, you know, or I'm pitching some, something to someone. So I'm always working, always working, always moving. Uh, Cause I want to be the greatest, not the greatest as in, I want to be better than everybody else. No, the greatest that I can be. Right. I, I want to be the greatest that I can be. I want to prove that immigrants can make it. I want to prove that Cuban immigrants, I want to be the Desi Arnaz of comments. Ah, you know, I see. I, I noticed that pun. Yeah. Yes, sir. There you go. I love no, it. Actually, like one of the first things that someone said to me when I moved to the States, but you, you sound just like Ricky Ricardo. I was like, well, yeah, I can see it. The first Cuban they thought of. The first, the only, the only major, like besides people, you know, <laughs> like, oh man. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Worldwide, you know, well, so, so what is, uh, what does the rest of the year look like for you? How's 2022 shaping out for you? Uh, 2022. Well, first of all, Tenoch, the Kickstarter is going strong. 20 days left. Got 20 days left and we're going strong, man. I'm trying to go for that 10K. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to go above and beyond, um, writing a lot of projects, going on a lot of, uh, a lot of things, uh, might be doing some appearances in different places around the country. Um, working on a lot of a lot of different the thing is that i work though out of those 15 projects the only one that i can discuss is tenor um good but i'm editing and talking uh, i'm editing a bunch of books i am writing a bunch of comics uh writing for other media as well getting some doing some meetings meeting some people so the rest of the year looks very busy very very busy so good yeah, that that's the stuff, man. I'm always busy. I'm always trying to trying to do things. So, dope, man. And, yeah. Well, Daniel, I appreciate you doing this with me. This was excellent. Thank you for joining me, my brother. Thank you so much for having me. Then I got a fire issue one live on Kickstarter right now. Go support. Go show some love. Aztec mythology superhero book influenced by Jack Kirby by Aztec mythology culture everything the glory days of the '80s. Go check it out. Critically acclaimed. Ten, I got a fire on Kickstarter right now. Show some love, everybody. Thank you so right. much for having me in the show. So you heard the man. I don't have to say anymore. So from Daniel Calvo, Concrete Comics, James Graham, Mass Effects Boys, we are out.